0: Okay. Hello, everybody. This is Danielle Karapkin speaking to you from Thornhill, Ontario, at the Bayat, and we are studying Maimonides' Guide for the Perplexed, Morena Vuchim. We are on Section 2, Chapter 42, which in the Pine, Shlomo Pine's edition of the Guide, is on page 388. We are in the middle of a lengthy discussion about prophecy, the prophetic experience, Um, And last week, we talked a little bit about some of the terminology that you might find in the Torah. Um, uh, One of the things that the Rambam asserts most strongly is that anytime uh, a person has a prophecy, it is via an intermediary that he calls an angel. And anytime a person has a prophecy, it is through a vision. The only exception is, of course, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, um, but any other time you find in Tanakh that God speaks to an individual, it's really God speaking in a vision to the individual, meaning that it's the person is in a dream-like state, um, uh, something deeper than a dream. And there is some kind of intermediary force that implants the voice or the idea uh, and a vision within the prophet's mind. It's not coming directly from God. The Rambam, of course, is, um, Uh, uh, maintaining a very Aristotelian view of God, who is completely transcendent and removed from our plane of existence. And therefore, the connection between the divine and the human must be via intermediary because the chasm is too wide. The gap is too wide between the two. I wanna share with you my screen because there's a lot to talk about um, for today's chapter. Um, This is actually what I would consider to be uh, an important chapter, and as I say every week, um, if you are not watching this via video, but you're listening to it on a podcast, you can always download the handout. Um, it's on the Facebook group, Shi'ur in Morena Vukhim, and it's also on webyeshiva.org's course description of this course, Morena Vukhim. There was a book written in 1935 by a scholar named Joseph Saracek, who was at JTS, the conflict over the rationalism of Maimonides, where he details the four major conflicts that arose, both during and after the lifetime of the Rambam, where people, um, people from who had a more traditional view of many of the issues uh, of theology that the Rambam discusses, really took issue, very strong issue, with the Rambam, viewing the Rambam's writings, especially the writings in the Guide, as a great threat to the uh, to the long standing traditions. Um, And in this book, um, Sarachek lists 25 distinct charges of the traditionalists against the Rambam's writings. I'll just show you what 15 and 16 are as they pertain to our chapter today. Because our chapter, uh, I've titled it, Any Biblical Narrative of Angels is Purely Visionary. According to the Rambam, and we've seen the Rambam say this before, especially in chapter 34 and in subsequent chapters, he's also said it in chapter six, going all the way back to chapter six of this section, that anytime a prophet has a vision or a human being is depicted in the Torah or in Tanakh as having a vision of an angel, it's not that the angel is ontologically there in the physical world. Angels are completely disembodied and therefore you can only have a vision of an angel in your mind as an illustration that is created in your imagination faculty uh, of an angel, but angels do not occupy a physical space and certainly cannot be seen in a physical plane. And so the 15 and 16 are that Maimonides denied that angels were corporeal beings, regarding them as identical with the intelligences of Aristotle. We talked about the intelligences that Aristotle depicts as being connected to the celestial bodies and uh, and as well of, of other things as well. This view was a severe blow to the prevalent angelology in mystical and traditional circles. Okay, that's in the point number one. Uh, 16, and this is most relevant to our chapter today, he taught that all scriptural stories in which angels appear or speak are dreams or visions. Hence, the stories of the angels connected with Avraham, with Yaakov, and with Bil'am were not actual occurrences, even though when you look at the biblical narrative, it seems quite clear that when Avram had a vision of three men, who later he discovered were angels, were walking towards him on that hot day uh, uh, in, 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 the, in, the, in the noon sun, and uh, and he's just had his circumcision. And he's looking to be able to do a mitzvah and he sees three people and he runs towards them and he greets them and brings them into his home and he washes their feet and he feeds them and gives them a meal and he speaks to his wife Sarah and tells her to do certain things. And all of the things that are depicted in that narrative never took place on a physical plane. They never actually occurred. If you would have had a video camera recording those events of Avraham on that day, you would see Avraham in a comatose state having uh, just being in a sleep-like trance, and there were no angels that came to visit Avram, according to Maimonides. Yaakov's wrestling match with the angel, which we're going to talk about shortly, also did not occur on a physical plane that was a prophetic image. And finally, Bilam, the story of Bilam, his talking donkey, and the angel that appeared to him in the road were not actual occurrences. In the minds of many, this view affects the authenticity of biblical history. I mean, I think that's sort of an understatement, right? Um, So, uh, and and the truth of the matter is, is that there were grounds historically for traditionalists to be quite concerned with these views that we're going to see in this chapter, because uh, historically there were movements in the middle ages of people who were, I guess what you would call uh, neo-Maimonideans who actually took the ideas of the Rambam a little bit further than what the Rambam himself advocated for. There were people who believed that all of the stories in the book of Genesis were really just metaphors and analogies, there was no Avraham, there was no Yitzchak, there was no Yaakov. And of course the Rambam never says that, but you know, if you take an idea like this that you find in our chapter, and you extrapolate and develop it and and uh, and go beyond the parameters of this idea, it could be potentially very dangerous. So the Rambam's first statement, as from the Pines edition reads, we're just condensing it a little bit as the opening statement, we have explained in chapter 41 that wherever it is mentioned that an angel was seen or had spoken, this has happened only in a vision of prophecy or in a dream whether this is explicitly stated or not. And we refer you back to chapter 41, where the Rambam had said that there are four different kinds of ways that the Torah can communicate that. But ultimately, every time that the Torah tells us that God spoke to a person, it's via an angel, uh, an intermediary force, and in a dream state. In a vision or dream, the prophet sometimes sees God speaking to him, as will be explained in chapters 44 and 45. Sometimes he sees an angel speaking to him, and sometimes he hears someone speaking to him without seeing the individual who was speaking. And sometimes he sees a human individual who speaks to him, and afterwards it becomes clear to him that it was really not a human being, but it was an angel. So with that intro, let's just look at the structure of our chapter. The Rambam focuses on primarily three uh, biblical narratives, that of Avraham and his three guests, Um, that uh, from Genesis chapter 18, that of Jacob and his wrestling match with the angel, uh, and that's from Genesis chapter 32. And finally, the story of Bilam and his talking donkey who meet the angel on the road on his way to curse the Jewish people. And that of course is from the book of Numbers chapter 22. So uh, uh, using that structure, and then we'll look a little bit at the end of the chapter where the rambam sort of ties things together with some other uh, additional ideas uh, let's first talk about the Avra, uh, the rambam's contention with avram's visit from the three angels the fact that this was purely visionary hinges on the following verse i'm just i have the first three verses of Parshat Vayera vayeira uh, listed here before you that god appeared vayeira love hashem beelonei Mamre. God appeared before Avraham in the plains of Mamre. He is sitting there on the hot day sun. Now the Torah then says he lifts up his eyes and he sees three men. According to the Rambam, and this is really a crucial point, if God is appearing to Avraham in Pasuk Aleph in the first verse, then when it says that he lifted up his eyes, he's in the middle of a visionary prophetic experience with God. So his lifting up of his eyes according to the Rambam, is in the midst of his prophetic dream. In his vision he sees himself lifting up his eyes and seeing three men. He, he sees ohel, and he runs to greet them from the opening of the tent and he bows down. vayomar, and then he says, Adonai, my master beinecha. if I have found favor in your eyes, al may al do not pass away from your servant, do not pass aside from your servant. Please stay here. Now, the key word here in this verse is the word ta'avor. What's curious about that word? For those of you who are grammarians, if there are three men approaching him and he's speaking to the three men, Avraham really should have said alna ta'avru in the plural. Please, my masters, do not pass, all three of you collectively do not pass aside, please come into my home. So why does it say you in the singular and not you in the plural? Rashi on the Chumash gives us two interpretations, both of which are found in the Midrash. The first opinion that he gives is the opinion that the Rambam latches onto, and this is the opinion of what he says is the great Rabbi Chia. Rabbi Chi in the Midrash says, We're just going to learn the Rashi. How do you explain that Avraham was speaking in the singular when there are three people in front of him? The answer is he spoke to the most prominent of the three men, which the Midrash identifies as the angel Michael, the angel Michael. Ukraam kulam adonim, amar avor so he says the word adonai which means my masters in the plural but then he addresses the 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 lead guy the 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 front man and he says please you individual sir do not pass away from where i am the cave in shaloya once the lead person uh, agrees to accept abraham's invitation the other two will follow as well uvalachon and using this interpretation, the word Adonai means my masters with a lowercase m. It's not at all a reference to God. Davara akher. Rashi gives us the second interpretation that we're probably perhaps a little bit more familiar with. Kadoshu, or Kodeshu. The name Adonai is a reference to God himself. V'haya omer lahakadosh baruchu lo ad and what Avraham was basically doing is that he was having this prophetic experience as is evidenced by the first verse that God appears to him in the plains of Mamre. All of a sudden, while he's having this prophetic experience, his, his sensory vision of the outside world is still active some, on some level. And he sees three men in a distance as he's being visited in a visionary a prophecy by God. And he turns to God in the in the midst of his prophecy and he says, God, and that's the word Adonai in verse three, please do me a favor, wait for me, do not leave me so that I can go ahead and greet my guests. And therefore in Rashi's second interpretation, when the verse says you in the singular, please you, God, do not pass away or pass aside from our conversation, just please wait for me. The Rambam rejects that opinion. The Rambam believes that once God is appearing to Avraham, consistent with his whole shita, with his whole opinion on what what the prophetic experience is, that you enter into a trance, Avraham had no external perception of what was going on in the world around him. And therefore, when we talk, he's in the midst of this prophecy while he's seeing all of this going on, and he's speaking in his prophecy to one of those guests. Now the Abarbanel asks, where do you see from the verses themselves that Avraham is still in the midst of a prophecy when he's speaking to his guests? The Abarbanel suggests that if indeed Avraham was in the midst of a prophecy with God, we and if indeed he's speaking, as Rabbi Thea says, to the, one of the angels, where then would we ever see that Avraham detaches himself from the prophecy? If there's no mention of Avraham detaching himself from the prophecy, which is the way Rashi learns in the second opinion, but instead, Avraham is speaking to the angels. He's saying, Adonai, in the plural, my masters. And he says to the the angel Michael, the leader, please come and accept my invitation to join me in my home. Then where do we ever see that Avraham in any way took his leave from God. He didn't according to this opinion. And therefore we must conclude that there is still a a visionary experience, a prophetic experience going on while all of this is happening. And that says the Barbanel, and I have it here for you in, in not such clear font because it's from one of the earlier editions, but that's where we see that according to the Rambam, that this whole narrative is taking place in a vision, okay? And the Rambam writes this cryptic statement, understand this story too, for it is one of the secrets, or in Hebrew, so de min it is one of the very important secrets of the Torah that so many of the uh, narratives where an individual is conversing with an angel is happening in a visionary experience. Now, uh, back when we studied chapter 34, I shared with you a portion of Nachmanides commentary to the beginning of Genesis chapter 18. Um, I didn't give you this paragraph, um, which is earlier in the commentary. He quotes the Rambam in our chapter, chapter 42. This is the Ramban's Perush, his commentary to the Chumash, to the Torah on Genesis chapter 18, verse one after he quotes the rambam um and basically he argues how could it be that the that avraham was in the midst of serving guests on the physical plane if he's in the middle of a of a visionary experience because after all the torah starts in the chapter by saying Vayera Hashem, that god appeared to avram and if he's in the midst of this um uh, visionary experience this prophetic experience how could he just interrupt that's the way the Rambam understands it. Vihine um, l'idvarav, and I just want to cut to the chase. The Ramban's main question is that according to what the Rambam is writing, Lo lasha Sara ugot, we have a serious problem because remember what does Avraham do in the story? Not only does he bring his guests in the tent, but he also instructs Sarah, Lushi vaasi ugot, you go ahead, Sarah, make dough and prepare it into bread ben And Avraham also is depicted in the verses as having slaughtered one of the livestock and preparing it for his guests, a calf. It didn't happen. It's all happening in a prophecy, in a vision, in his mind. And when the Torah says that Sarah laughed, that never happened. That Sarah is part of Avraham's prophetic dream. Everything was in a vision. And the Ramban's words are very dramatic here. He says, if so, then all of this vision is like a false dream. It's a fake dream. These are Avraham is having images of things that never happened and never would happen. And so it seems like this is a false prophecy. <inaudible> what benefit is there for Avram to have a vision of him preparing food for guests that are not physically in front of him? What is the benefit of the, the calf that is being slaughtered? What is the benefit of him conversing to Sarah in a dream and telling her to bake bread? What is the benefit of depicting Sarah as laughing when she never laughed at the prospect of her becoming pregnant and having a child? These are very, very powerful questions. And once again, when we look at the Yabar commentary to this chapter in Morena Nebuchim, we see that he addresses this issue quite extensively. And the the Abar Benel's Mahalach is as follows. His, his approach is that in reality, the, there is pertinence to this dream in that what God was showing Avraham is that not only was he going to have a child, but that the reason that God had chosen Avraham as the progenitor of the Jewish people is because of his personal conduct and the way that he took care of people. It is because you, Avraham, care for absolute strangers, and you feed them, and you bring them into your home, and you and your wife, Sarah, do all that you normally do to take care of your guests, that is the reason why I have chosen you to have a child whose name will be Yitzchak, and that is the reason why your seed shall be the chosen people. And that's the purpose of the prophecy. And the truth of the matter is that even though Sarah never laughed upon hearing the words of the angels, because this is all in part of a dream, God had nonetheless needed to reveal to Avraham that there is only one small defect in both you and your wife, Sarah, is that you lack the faith to believe that what I'm promising to you is going to come true. And both you and Sarah need to sort of up your game, so to speak, and realize that all of this is really going to come true, and eliminate all of those doubts that you currently harbor in your hearts. That was the function of the vision. That was the function of this entire narrative t- unfolding according to uh, the Abarbanel in a visionary experience. So I want you to sort of store that in your data banks. That's the Rambam's uh, opinion about Avraham and his three guests. It happens all in a vision. And if you're wondering about the rambans question, this all looks like it's a it's a false vision because it never happened, and why all the details of that vision, the Abarbanel addresses that issue. Let's go on to the next story. Yaakov's wrestling match with the angel. We know that the story tells us at the beginning of Parshat Vayishlach, um, uh, Yaakov is preparing to go back to the land of Canaan to see his parents. He knows he's going to have an encounter with Esav. And he offers a prayer up to God. And he prepares to go to battle with Esav. He also sends a gift to Esav in advance. And then the Torah says that after he takes all of his family, he takes his whole family as they progress into the land of Israel, and they pass over a brook, and he brings all of his possessions and passes them over this small, a uh, 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 creek or river, whatever it was. And then the Torah says, Yaakov remains alone. And a man wrestled with him until the morn. Now we have no indication that this is taking place in a dreamlike state. But the Rambam points out this is an example of a visionary experience where Yaakov thinks that it's a man, and that's why the Torah depicts him as a, an ish, and but later realizes that it's an angel. And just as with Avraham, where he was in the middle of a prophetic vision and saw the angels in his vision, the same is true with Yaakov. Where, however, did Yaakov, is Yaakov depicted as having a vision? This is really a huge chidush, what the Rambam is about to tell us. If you look at the last verses, of the previous Torah portion, Parshat Vayesei, the Torah says that after Yaakov's encounter of leaving of, uh, Lavan's house and being pursued by Lavan and having that encounter with Lavan and eventually, instead of going to war, they make a peace treaty with each other and they shake hands on it, so to speak, and Lavan goes on his way and Yaakov departs for Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. The Torah then says, Vayoshav Lavan Lavan goes back to his place. Verse 2 of chapter 32, V'yaakov halach ledarko v'yifgu uvo elokim. That Yaakov goes on his way and he is met by angels of God. He is met by angels of God. That's a visionary experience. Vayomer Yaakov ka'asher ra'am Machane elokim Ze." Yaakov in his dream pronounces, this is a camp of angels, because the word Elohim over here means angels, and he calls the name of the place, the camp, based on the fact that he sees this cluster of angels greeting him. And as Rashi tells us, these are the angels of Eretz Yisrael coming out to greet Yaakov as he is coming back into the land of Israel. Now, the next verses the beginning of parshat vayishlach are now taking place in the real world not in the visionary world so the rambam has to maneuver this he's really got to finesse this carefully although scripture interrupts this passage with a at the beginning of parshat vayishlach with the discussion of Yaakov's physical preparation in the real world to meet esav that physical preparation was all done before Yaakov has the vision of the angels. In other words, the Rambam has to rely on the principle of ein mukdam ume uchar Torah. Sometimes the Torah speaks a little bit out of chronological order, and therefore this encounter, this visionary experience of the angels, actually happened after the the Torah's depiction of Yaakov preparing to meet his brother Esav by sending him gifts and sending messengers to him and praying to God and so forth and so on, and so the, the angel that Yaakov wrestles with is one of the angels that he had encountered in Machanayim, in this place as he's crossing the border into Eretz Israel and perhaps the Rambam would understand that Maavar Yabok is maybe the border whether whether it's a, a, a tributary of the Jordan River, it's unclear, but where whatever that body of water is, it is Yaakov's transition and meeting those angels going from Chutz Laaretz into the land of Israel, and now he has this wrestling match. That's how the Rambam understands the story, purely a visionary experience. And the third episode that the Rambam chooses to focus upon is Bilam's conversation with the donkey and his meeting of the angel on the road. Many of us are already familiar with that story, but I just want to point out that the word of Vayavo is used in reference to Bil'am, that God appears to Bil'am Lila in the middle of the night. If you remember from the end of chapter 41, the Rabbim had given us two examples of where the Torah says that God comes to a person in a vision of the night or in the night. The two examples that the Rambam had given to us were two unsavory characters, Lavan and Avimelech, the king of the Philistines. Um, and here too, we have an unsavory character, the, the, the uh, prophet, the idolatrous pr- prophet Bilam. And here too, the, the Torah says that God came to Bilam in a vision of the night. And the Rambam understands that that visionary experience is continuing throughout the remainder of chapter 22 in the book of numbers in other words that god is appearing to bilham in a vision and so therefore when it says that bilham arose in the morning and saddled his she donkey that's also part of the vision and all of this uh travel this whole journey that bilham is having he's having it epistemologically in his mind It never took place on a plane of the physical reality in the outside world. But this whole story of him getting on his donkey, riding down the road, um, uh, his donkey seeing the angel of God and Bilaam cannot yet see it, striking his donkey, the donkey pushing him against the wall, striking the donkey again, and finally the donkey opening up its mouth and speaking is all part of a vision. It never took place because donkeys don't speak in the real world. Remember, Maimonides is also a miracle minimalist, as we've pointed out a number of times before. And therefore, the vision that he has finally, where if you remember in the verse, it says uh, in verse 31 in chapter 22 of Numbers, Va yegal bil'am, that finally God opens up or uh, uh, exposes Bilam's eyes. And he sees the angel of God standing on the road, and its sword is in its hand, and he bows down to the angel, all in a vision. Okay, now, this is problematic in and of itself. We've talked about the problems about Avraham. We've talked about the problems of Yaakov in the wrestling match, because you have to take the verses out of order. Let's talk a little bit about the problem with the way the Rambam depicts this visionary experience with Bilam. The fact of the matter is is that the issue of the talking donkey is something that the Rambam cannot necessarily uh, uh, repackage and reinterpret. First of all, we know that the Rambam himself says that the donkey's miraculous speech was an actual physical miracle. Where do we know this from? Uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, it says in Pirkei Avot in chapter five that there were ten things that God created uh, at the very very end of the sixth day of creation, as the Sabbath was coming in. What the what the Mishnah says is Ben and one of those things is the mouth of the donkey. Uh, it's 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 uh, it's together with. Uh, the 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 hole in the ground that would eventually open up and swallow up Korach and his men and many other uh, um, things, miraculous phenomena, God put those things into motion at the beginning of creation. We've talked about how the Rambam understands that, but in the Rambam's commentary, he says that it was actually the mouth of the donkey. In other words, the future donkey that would actually manifest itself in the physical world God put that miracle into motion that it would take place hundreds of years after creation in the times of Bilam to be able to teach Bilam a lesson. So it seems that the Rambam is contradicting himself. It also appears as if the Rambam seems to say the same thing in a previous chapter of the guide. And now this is something that is challenged by a rabbi whose name was Rabbi Shmuel ben Avraham of Soporta. And Saporta, uh, I'm not sure exactly where that is, but he, this rabbi, wrote a letter to defend the Rambam's position, this the rationalist school position, against all of the Rambam's detractors. He lived sometime between the uh, the 13th century and the 15th century. Uh, we're not exactly; we don't really have that much information. But there is a safer called Ginzei Nistarot, which was published in the 19th century. Um, by a, a, a Maskeel, uh, one of the Enlightenment uh, uh, scholars, and he published a whole bunch of different items in the Sefer, Ginzeni Starot, and this letter is one of those things that is published in that work. And he writes, I'm just, uh, just have a snippet of it here for you. piha he says so. Rabbi Shmuel ben Avram of Saporta says, "I don't know how to explain how the Rambam could say that the whole story of the talking donkey was in a vision." He says the Rambam has already said it said in this work. If you go back to Shahray Nimzabo beferush ki hayata la aton bilam aydekach. Uh, go back to chapter six, where the Rambam discusses the motion of the donkey. I, I want to point out that when we learned that originally, um, there was some discrepancy between the commentaries. One commentary said that the motion of the donkey is not the donkey's mouth, and uh, and others say that Kresge says that it was the, the mouth of the donkey so according to kreskes and those commentaries who understand that the rambam is talking about the talking donkey in more itself the rambam himself is contradicting himself and perhaps that's the reason why the other commentaries say it's not the movement of the donkey's mouth but the movement of the donkey's body and he says <laughs> He says, how can you tell me that the donkey's mouth moved if this is all happening in a vision? Our master, the Rambam, in his commentary to the Mishnah in the fifth chapter of Pirkei Avot said, right, All of the miraculous phenomenon, phenomena, including the mouth of the donkey. The Rambam in his commentary understands that these things did manifest in the physical world. And so he leaves with a tzarich iyun, he leaves with this, this is a question, we must therefore conclude that in his opinion, this Rav Shmuel Misaporta, he says that when the Rambam says that this all happened in a vision, he's not including the donkey. The donkey actually spoke but everything around the donkey, meaning in other words, Avraham, uh, sorry, Bilam actually rode on a donkey. He heard the donkey speaking, but the vision that he had of the angel was in his mind, and everything else happened on a physical plane. So there you have a little bit, this is a really a tzarechiyon because the Rambam does not seem to be saying what Rabbi Shmuel of Soporta suggests that he is saying, but just understand that this is a bit of a problem. The Rambam concludes this chapter with discussing other prophecies and non-prophetic visions. He gives an example of where people have prophecies or near prophecies of uh, angels and all of those are not happening in the outside world. Ontologically, they're happening epistemologically in the mind. So you have the story about Joshua, where in chapter five of Joshua, it says, Um, that he has a vision, he lifts up his eyes and he sees that there's a man standing in front of him. And here too, Joshua initially mistakes this person as a warrior with a sword in his hand. And only afterwards does he realize that it's an angel. And after Joshua's death, at the beginning of the book of Judges, it says that an angel of God came from Gilgal and revealed himself to the entire Jewish people. And it says, and in verse four, it says, the angel sort of castigates the people and says, You have not followed the ways of your ancestors. And when he tells them these words, to El Kol Israel, to the entire Jewish people, kolam Then everyone lifted up their voices and they cried. Now this presents a double problem. Number one, According to the Rambam, this could not have happened on a physical plane, because you, ha- you don't see an angel in the real world. And number two, how could everyone have this mass prophecy? We never find a mass prophecy other than the event at Sinai. So how is an angel revealing himself to an entire population of Jews who have not prepared themselves properly for the prophetic experience? And so therefore, this could not have been an angel since it was manifest to all of Israel. And therefore, the Rambam quotes the Medrash in Vayikra Rabbah, who says that it was none other than Pinachas, the great zealot uh, who who helped the Jewish people and who actually was one of the leaders for them. Um, And he was the one who had the prophecy after Joshua's death, gave Musar, gave a a strong... um, uh, admonishments to the people for the fact that they were uh, straying from God and it was his message that is known as the angel of God because we have already explained going back to chapter six of this section that a prophet is sometimes called an angel and I refer you back to chapter 34 where we did where we reviewed that idea as well where there are many different words, uh, many different things that the word Malach refers to, because the word Malach simply means an intermediary force. And many times the prophet himself, who is an intermediary of God, who brings God's message to the world, himself is called an angel. Other sources that indicate that a prophet is called an angel, he brings from the book of Chagai, Bayomer Chagai Malach Hashem, that Chagai, the prophet, is known as the angel of God and during the reign of tzidkiyahu in the book of chronicles it says that the people um, um, ridiculed the angels of god who were sent to them and of course there it's not talking about real angels that are being ridiculed it says that god sent in the hands of his angels um, a message to the people because god had compassion and wanted to get the people to rehabilitate themselves Instead, the people ridiculed those angels. It doesn't mean literally angels. It means the prophets of God. Daniel's vision of Gabriel, then says the Rambam, also took place in a prophecy, even though the implication of the verse is that it happened in the World world. But it says, as Daniel says in chapter nine, as I'm in the midst of prayer, the, the angel Gabriel that I saw in a vision Muaf biaf nogea Eli was flying and then touching me, keit minchat Arev as it was getting towards evening. This is all part of the visionary experience. And the visionary experience of angels is consistent with the verse in the book of Bamidbar, which says that when God spoke to Aaron and Miriam, like we learned about God criticizing Aaron and Miriam for not understanding the nature of of Moses' prophecy, we talked a little bit about that more last week, that God had said, that God says, I appear to normal prophets in a Mara. And if you remember the interpretation of the Malbim was that the word mar'ah is an unclear lens or a mirror is the way the, the Malbim had explained it, meaning that it's an indirect vision of God. Indirect means via intermediary. So this is all consistent, the Rambam says, with my thesis that every prophecy is via an angel. Uh, and finally, the Rambam concludes the chapter with visions of non-prophets. And the Rambam says that there are people who are not unsavory people, but they're also not ready to be prophets. They're righteous people, people like Hagar, Manoach, Manoach's wife, who were the parents of the... the uh, the, the great leader Shimshon, um, all the, the story of Hagar. There are two places in the Torah where she is visited by an angel, and of course in the book of Judges, chapter thirteen, Manoach and his wife are visited by an angel who tell him that they're that that who tell them that they will have a child who shall be a Nazarite, and the Rambam simply says the words they heard for that occurred to their mind. Uh, I'm sorry, the words that they heard occurred to their mind, that, that they heard occurred to their mind, were similar to the bat kol, which the sages constantly mention. In other words, it's a near prophetic experience. God is sending them a message that he implants in their minds, but it's not a clear vision like a prophetic vision. And this can be demonstrated by the usage of the word Vayim that it says in the case of Hagar, Vayim malach Hashem al-Ein Hamayim, that God finds her at a well, at an oasis in the desert at the oasis, right? So the fact that God finds her means that she is not ready to receive a prophetic experience. It's that God has to pursue her in order to implant a vision in her mind. A prophet has been primed and is prepared to receive the, the message of God. But when you say that I find you, it means I happen across you because you're not ready for the prophecy. And that's, that's the explanation. And the Rambam then compares that to another time, where it says that a person was found by a person, that a man encountered Yosef as he was sent by his father Yaakov to find his, bro- his brethren. And Yosef was wandering in the desert. And this man, who it is later clear that it is an angel according to our tradition, uh, is the person who communicates with Yosef. And as the commentaries point out, the reason why the Rambam invokes the story of Yosef is to demonstrate that Hagar herself was not a prophetess. Yosef, we know, was only a 17-year-old youth. He was immature, and he was not ready to receive prophecy. And contextually from the story, it seems that Yosef had a lot to develop and grow at that stage in his life. If that's the word, Vayim tzaihu, that is found in the context of Yosef, then similarly, when it says vayim Tsaa in the context of Hagar, it also means that she was not in the state that where she was yet ready for prophecy. And yet God can communicate with those people as well. But even when God is communicating to a non-prophet by sending them a vision of an angel in their mind, it is a visionary experience. There is no actual physical angel. And even though that may sound problematic, because if I'm not a prophet, then how can I have a vision in my mind? It's an unclear vision. It's like the bat kol that the rabbis talk about, that they heard a heavenly voice. You get a sense that there's something there in your mind, but it's like a mirage. You can tell that it's fuzzy, it's not clear, it's blurry, and yet you still get the message that there is someone communicating with you. Just to conclude this chapter, because I know we've gone uh, over time, The question that you may ask yourselves is, and this may be a little bit outside of the text of the Rambam, why is it that Hagar and Yosef are connected at the end of our chapter? Why, obviously the Rambam is connecting them to demonstrate from the story of Yosef that Hagar was a non prophet But you might also ask yourself the question, why is it that the Torah connects the two of them together by using the very same verb to describe a visionary experience of an angel? I saw a beautiful idea brought down in a in a to say, for, maybe the Rambam meant it, maybe he didn't mean it, but I just thought I would end the chapter this way, is that when God finds you, it's because you're running away from something. And when I find something that's running away, it's because I've been pursuing it. And that's what it means to be motse something, like if you are searching for a lost object, you finally look around all wherever you can find it until you find it, because it's lost. In both of those cases, Hagar, and Yosef, in a sense, were lost. They had been uh, disenfranchised and estranged from their normal home. And they felt somewhat lost because they felt disconnected from their loved ones. And that's the connection between the two. A lot of times, God will find those people. And uh, that's a beautiful way to end the chapter. If anyone ever feels lost, God will find you eventually and send you that image. But in any event, I wanted to close out the chapter this way. The bottom line is, that the Rambam makes some very very bold claims in this chapter, that anytime you, you see a, a narrative in the Bible of an angel, it's all in a vision, and therefore there's some some really unusual interpretations that the Rambam has to go towards, in order to be to, to be able to make all of this fit, in that uh, in it within his position, and of course as we understand, because angels are incorporeal like Aristotle's intelligences, they cannot be actual physical beings. And because angels must always act as that intermediary between man and God, that vision is going to happen in the mind of the prophet. I hope that's clear. I know that there were some people that were asking questions. Uh, Let me just take a quick look if there are any. um, They say that a dream is 160th of prophecy, that's right. Um, Okay. How can the, that angel be a mass vision? It's not a mass vision, right, as we said. What about the angel in Shemot that is sent before the Israelites in the desert? Ah, I see your question. Right, so the Rambam actually talked a little bit, a little bit about that. That's an angel that is not visible, but it's really just an intermediary force. Okay, everybody, have a wonderful day. And I just want to let you all know that I will be traveling uh, next week so we'll see you in two weeks time so no class next week we will see you in two weeks time for chapter 43 thank you thank you